that we may believe. It's the theme of John's gospel. It's the overarching theme of the entire word of God that tells the story of God's redemptive arc from uh, the Garden of Eden where everything got ruined to the new city of New Jerusalem where everything gets restored. And we, uh, we praise God that we get to make our way through the gospel of John. John chapter four began with a conversation between Jesus and a woman of Samaria. And uh, we talked about that last week. And just to remind you of sort of the geography of our context, the uh, verse that we looked at last week that said Jesus had to go through Samaria is a, is a verse that can go by pretty quickly if you don't kind of know culturally what's going on there. Jesus was on his way north out of uh, Jerusalem and Judea, the southern part of the nation of Israel, and was on his way to begin his, his ministry in Galilee. The, the portion of Jesus' ministry that we're, we're gonna come to next is something that, that most New Testament commentators call the great Galilean ministry. And traveling north from the area around Jerusalem to Galilee, if you look at it on a map, it seems the obvious thing you do is just go straight north. Um, That would seem to be the way to do it. But the Samaritans and that region known as Samaria, well, that was a problem. The Samaritans were a a remnant of the, uh, the Old Testament's northern kingdom. They had intermarried with the surrounding nations. They, they had rejected most of God's word to ancient Israel. They had set up their own non-legitimate temple on Mount Gerizim, the only legitimate temple being the temple in Jerusalem. They spoke of uh, you, could, you could have a conversation with them if you were a Jew, but it was a very different dialect. They used language differently. So they, um, in short, they were a, a despised ethnic minority living within the borders of Israel, but in a particular region. And, and no real self-respecting Jew would travel through Samaria. It just wasn't done though geographically it would be the obvious way to make the north-south journey. Most Jews would either hook east toward the Jordan River Valley, cross the Jordan to the east side, go north along the Jordan, and then recross the Jordan River at, near the mouth of the Jordan, which is there at the Sea of Galilee, and thus come into Galilee that way, or swing way west and go up the coast of the Mediterranean Sea and hook back inland once you were safely past Samaria. But we know Jesus had to go through Samaria. He had an appointment with a woman at a well near a village called Sychar. And last week we dealt with that conversation with the woman at the well. And uh, this week, the passage sort of continues out of that same moment. We're still in Samaria. We're still by Jacob's well near the ancient uh, Samaritan village of Sychar. I've chosen as my title this morning, 
I've got it in quotations on your outline. If you've got the outline either digitally or if you've printed it out, you'll see that the title's in quotes. It's not always do I put the title in quotes, but here I did because it is a quotation from Psalm chapter three, or Psalm three, verse eight. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is his thing. God the Father is the designer, the architect of the plan of salvation. God the Son, Jesus, is the achiever of our salvation by his death on the cross. And God the Holy Spirit is the applier of salvation to our heart. We sang earlier in this service about the God in three persons, the blessed Trinity. And all of the Trinity is involved in the salvation of a person. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I've put up front on the outline sort of a a framing big idea for this morning, and it's this. We are not on our own in a random world. By the way, I could put a period right there, right? We are not on our own in a random world. Uh, We are not on our own. The world is not random. But this morning, I've I've continued the thought. We are not on our own in a random world when we are, are obedient to share our faith. Last week, we, we, we reiterated and we will frequently iterate the, the truth of God's word that we are both witnesses and ambassadors. We are not merely commanded to, to fill those roles. We are told we do fulfill those roles. And the question for us is, shall we do it effectively or not? In this passage, we see salvation belongs to the Lord, though we are invited to be in on it. John chapter four, verses 27 through 42. Just then, his disciples came back. Jesus, no, they marveled that he was talking with a woman. But no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And they went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say There are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. And many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Four things I want to I talk about this morning that demonstrate that from this passage that salvation belongs to the Lord. Roman numeral one, and perhaps most centrally, we see his control. His control. 
The, the opening of verse 27, what we have in our text as just then, is a very emphatic expression of timing. At that very moment is the idea. At that very moment, Jesus has just finished affirming to this woman that he is, in fact, the Christ, that he is, in fact, the Messiah. He's had a whole conversation with her while his disciples were in town buying food. If it takes them any less time, they interrupt the conversation. If they're any quicker, they interrupt and disrupt this strategic conversation. If they're any slower, they miss his declaration, which they will hear again and again than they've heard before, but his reminder to them of, of who he is and what he's about. Their timing was perfect. They were not in control of their timing. Now think of all the variables involved in their timing. It's a half mile walk to town, a town that his disciples are not familiar with, an ethnic minority that they're not fond of where they have to do business. They've been taught all their lives, don't mess with the Samaritans, and now they're in there trying to shop around to get food. And then the half-mile walk back out to where Jesus is, there is no way to time their arrival as perfectly as it is timed unless you are omnipotent. If you are omnipotent, it's no big deal. So Jesus shows us his control over, letter A on your outline, circumstances and timing. Circumstances and timing. We speak all the time of divine appointments. Those opportunities that the Lord will send into the life of his ambassadors and witnesses for you to have the opportunity to share your faith. He is in control. So when you find yourself stuck in a line at a store and the cashier up front is like the most trainee cashier ever, and you're gonna be there for a few minutes, do you think the person in line ahead of you or the person in line behind you, do you think those people are there accidentally? Do you think it's just coincidence that they're trapped in a setting with you for a couple of minutes? Times every circumstance in life. Divine appointments are everywhere. God is constantly setting them up. Opportunities for you to have a moment to share, to have a moment to be used of God as a witness or an ambassador. He is in control not only of those moments, but also the larger circumstances. You have the neighbors you have because he's arranged it. You work with the people you work with because he's arranged it. You have the family members and friends you have because he has placed you strategically in the human setting where he has placed you. He is Lord over all that and he has put one of his ambassadors, one of his witnesses, in your setting that he would be able to make use of you to share his good news. He is also in control over the transformation of people. He's in the business of transforming people. 
Um, if, you, if you read this account all the way back to the first of the conversation and you look for this woman at the well to sort of recite what you and I might call a classic sinner's prayer, just as a, a clear recitation of asking Jesus into her heart, you won't find it. Those, th- that particular script doesn't play out. What does play out, however, is her awareness of her sin her repentance, her acknowledgement of Jesus as Savior, and her desire to tell others about him. So we see evidence of her new birth all over this passage. One of the things you can look for when somebody's born again is their priorities get scrambled. Things that might have mattered a whole lot now matter less. Things that might not have mattered at all suddenly matter a whole lot. Do we see this woman's priorities get scrambled? I think we do. Let me show you. It's the middle of the day. It's a half hour, I mean a half mile. Not a huge exercise walk, but not a walk across the room to the refrigerator either. It's a half mile in the middle of the day to get from town out to where this well is. She's made that walk. She, she left the house to make that walk. She left the house to make that walk in the middle of the day for a particular reason. What was her reason? Don't overthink it. She's gonna get water. Her priority is to fetch water and take it back to the house. Did her priorities get scrambled? Verse 28 says yes. So the woman left her water jar and went away into town to share with the people there what she had encountered. Now, I'm certain eventually the jar full of water made it back to the house. Water's a good thing. But in that moment, what was most important became secondarily important to her newfound role as an ambassador and as a witness. The Lord had changed her. Roman numeral two, his his connection. We see in verses 31 through 34 a peek into the intimacy of Jesus' connection with with his father. Um, I love this quote from John Piper. I have it in your notes. Piper says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. We stand the most chance of reflecting the glory of God if we are living in an intimate connection with him. You're not gonna share a Jesus you're not enthusiastic about, and you're not gonna be enthusiastic about Jesus if you're not spending real time with him in his word and in prayer and then in cultivating your obedient relationship to, to him. The guys come back from town and they make a very reasonable request of their master. Lord, you need to eat. We, we, we came to this place at midday. I, you know what I think? I think they thought that Jesus had stayed out by the well because after all, he wouldn't go into a Samaritan village. I think they had it exactly backward. He sent them into the village. I think that was a discipleship step for them to learn to start interacting with people that weren't pure Jews. They've done the business, they brought the food. As far as they know, Jesus hasn't had anything to eat. Lord, have something to eat. And he makes this enigmatic statement, "I I have food you don't know about. Now, 
Just a paragraph before, the woman had mistaken his conversation about living water to be a reference to literal water from the well. He was talking about something larger and entirely different. Here, the disciples make the same mistake. I have, I have food to eat you don't know about. Okay, who brought him a sandwich? He says, no, no. God is glorified in me when I'm satisfied in him. My food is to do the will of the one who sent me and to finish his work. It means more to me than to eat that, that, that God would use me. Our provision is found in him, letter A on your outline. And letter B, I may as well go, jump right to it, our purpose. Why are you here? And I don't mean here in this room at this moment. I mean life. Why are you here? We've got lots and lots of things we can be doing. We've got lots and lots of things we can be interested in. Lots and lots of ways to earn a living. But the purpose of our life is not up to us. We have been given a role. We have been given a defining assignment. We have been given a, a central value around which all others are to orbit. We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are the storytellers. We are the witnesses. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and finish his work. Roman numeral three, his commission. His commission. It's very likely that the countryside around this well was farmland. As would typically be the pattern with an ancient village, there would, be, there would be the village center, the town center where the people lived and conducted marketplace commerce and all that sort of stuff. And then in a ring around the village, as landscape permitted, would be farmland, close to the village so that the fields were accessible to people who, worked in the, who lived and worked in the town. So it's probable that this well was surrounded by farmland and so Jesus was able to perhaps gesture out to the fields around the farm. This, this, is, this is in December, and the harvest Jesus is talking about is the spring harvest coming in late March or April. And so he says here, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest, as he looked out at the literal fields. But then he says, look. No, literally, Look. Lift up your eyes, I tell you, and see the fields are white for harvest. What was he drawing their attention to? I think it's, it's hard to miss the conclusion. We've already been told that people from the town are coming out to see Jesus. We've been told that in verse 30. We know that it's about a half mile walk. So I think in that moment when Jesus says, lift up your eyes and look, the harvest is now. I believe he turned their attention from the, the literal fields to the spiritual harvest of the lost people of that Samaritan village who were going to come out now in response to this woman's testimony and hear about the good news of Jesus. 
Letter A, his commission has urgency. Look, lift up your eyes. The harvest field is now. Wow, this generation of believers, this 2021 moment, we have, we have the best tools to understand and know God's word of any generation ever. I remember hauling tons of books back and forth when I was in seminary 30 years ago. Now I can carry 12 to 1500 books in my Kindle. I remember when you, when you had some phrase in your head and you, I know that's in the word of God somewhere. I know that's, I, I, I think might be in the Psalms, but I need, to, I need to find that. Okay, some of y'all, some of y'all are, are, are not that far off my age. And some of y'all have been Bible study teachers or, or working in ministry or just students of God's word. How many of you own or have owned a hardback copy of Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Where, yeah, every single service, there's a bunch of them. I have one. It's still on the shelf in my office. Do you know why? Because the spine is beautiful. You see that book on my shelf and you think, here is a scholar of depth. <laughs> Other than the dust around it, I haven't touched it probably in years. Because in half a dozen keystrokes, I can get to literally anything. I can drill down to the original languages. I can do searches based on the original language phraseology. I can take a couple of more clicks and get to 20 authors who have written about the passage that I'm looking at who I can take instruction from. It's phenomenal, the tools that we have. Are we the most biblically literate generation? I fear not. And travel. We've been given a commission that says, go to the ends of the earth with a gospel message. You and I, and I understand COVID has fouled this up a little bit, but the fact of the matter, it's the case that you and I can be about anywhere in the world where there are people in about 36 hours. The face of the earth is accessible to us in about 36 hours. Are we the most zealous generation of missionary travelers? I don't see it. So we have the best tools to know God's word. We have the best technology to carry the gospel anywhere in the world, I think we may have lost the urgency. I think we may have an urgency problem. If Jesus could say to his disciples in this moment, as maybe a few dozen people from a village make their way up a path to a well, if Jesus could say to his disciples in that moment, look, the fields are ready to harvest, how much more emphatically would he say it to us today? We've got more lost people alive on earth today than at any other time in the history of the world. They are our harvest field. And they are right here in our neighborhoods and in our offices and in our schools. 
all the way out to the ends of the earth. There is an urgency. We're to do it with urgency and we're to do it with, e- with others, with each other. I love this set of sentences that deal with the, the sowing and the reaping. All of us are to be involved in sharing our faith without question. Sometimes that is in a seed sowing way. Um, I've had a couple of times in my life where I've been witnessing to somebody. I had a, a, a friend in Lexington that I witnessed to for consistently for two years during the time I lived in Lexington back around the turn of the century. I witnessed to that joker for two years. Five or six years after I was in Fort, Fort Myers, I got an email from him that, that, that the guy had gotten saved. Can I confess it made me angry? Wait a minute, Lord. Somebody else is gonna come in there and, and reap my work. I didn't think that for long, and I'm glad he's gonna be in heaven. But that's the way it works. Sometimes we're used of God to sow, sometimes we're used of God to reap, but we all rejoice together because salvation belongs to the Lord. I made an appeal earlier in the service for some of you guys to, to jump in on Vacation Bible School. I have, a, I have a role every year in Vacation Bible School that I very, very profoundly treasure. It is, no kidding, the most difficult Bible teaching I do in a year. It just is. I am the preschool Bible story teacher, which means I teach and I won't, I do not dumb it down. How can the word of God be dumbed down? But I have to translate to three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds. That's not my native language, right? And it's a, it's a translational task. The energy level is different, and I'm old. Some of you who are older than me are not old yet. I'm not calling you old. I'm old. Age, age is just an attitude. Okay, I'm old. <laughs> we don't look to see a bunch of three-year-olds, four-year-olds, and five-year-olds get saved at Vacation Bible School. We don't aim at harvesting those tiny little preschoolers. Quite often, if you do, what you get is false conversion and later in life confusion. When you say to that little four-year-old or five-year-old, do you love Jesus? Yes. Do you love Bambi? Yes. (laughs) They're, They're perhaps not ready for the harvest season yet, but we will see children get saved in our vacation Bible school who have been involved in life groups you have taught, homes where you have lived for Jesus consistently, even church services where they've heard the gospel explained. And it's sowing and sowing and sowing and then it's reaping and we all rejoice together. And we praise God for it. I had the opportunity for just the last couple of years to... uh, when, as I have taught 12th, 12th graders at SFCA for a few years now, only in the last couple of years have I had students, usually near the first of the year, joke with me and remind me that they remember me teaching the Bible to them when they were three, four, or five years old. And now they're back at 17, 18 years old, and we get to 
pick it up and go with it. I praise God for the opportunity to be involved in some sowing and in some harvesting. I hope you are as well. We're doing this together as we share the gospel consistently. And then with the tools that he has made available, letter C on your outline. There are three, there are three tools demonstrated and illustrated right here in this passage. First, our own testimony, your story. This woman does not have a complex, elaborate witness. I met a guy, and he unfolded to me my entire sinful past. The implication is he's forgiven it. And he, he may well be the Savior. I've shared with you before, I believe it's absolutely essential for every believer that you should be able to share your salvation story grounded in God's word in two or three minutes, anytime, anywhere. You should not need to go cram. You should not need to, okay, they told me I've got to share my testimony today. Let me go hide in the bathroom for 10 minutes and get myself ready. You should be able to share three parts. What was my life like before I came to Jesus? What happened at the moment I came to Jesus? What's Jesus been up to in my life since I came to Jesus? You should be able to share that story anytime, anywhere, with no additional prep other than the fact that you've lived it. This woman's barely been, she's been saved way less than an hour, and she's already sharing her testimony. Not only your testimony, but also your presence. Jesus is about to begin the great Galilean ministry. He's got urgent business in Galilee. They say, these, these Samaritans say to him, can you hang with us for a couple of days? He was present. He was present. <laughs> and just as a point of discipleship, I, seeing this from the perspective of the disciples, okay, Lord, we're going through Samaria. You know, mom and daddy told me never go through Samaria. Mom and daddy told me we don't hang with people like that. But hey, I've pledged my life to follow you, and if that's where you're going, I'm going there too. I will hold my nose and get through it. We're going through Samaria. Can you guys believe we're going through Samaria? We're going through Samaria. <laughs> okay, we get to the well, and Jesus says, I'm not going into town, you're going into town. You guys go figure out how to buy food and come on back out when you've got some. Okay, we're going into a Samaritan village. This is creepy and weird, but we can get through it. Hey guys, guess what we're doing for the next couple of days? We're gonna hang out and teach God's word to Samaritans. I think there's an evolution with his disciples that they are being prepared through their whole discipleship journey to be the leaders of a church that will have worldwide impact to every ethnicity, every tongue, tribe, and nation. Be present. Be present. I alluded earlier to you, you dads again. I'm, I think, third time hitting at this service. Your, your involvement in Vacation Bible School, sir, is mostly about a godly man in the room with those kids. It is a straight up ministry of presence opportunity. You say, I don't want to hang out with little kids. I don't think Jesus' disciples would have just said, let's go hang out with the Samaritans. But what an opportunity they had, their, their presence. And then, of course, God's 
word. Many more believed, verse 41, because of his word. More tools than any generation before us. More access to God's word than any generation before us. Do we know it? Do we love living in obedience to God? Do we, do we understand that this, this is where God has spoken? <laughs> Had a friend this week get in a conversation. We were talking about the old WWJD bracelets. Any of y'all remember those? The what would Jesus do? My friend said, you know what we ought to have? We ought to have WDJD bracelets. What did Jesus do? Because we've got that as an example for us. Are, are you in his word? Do you know his word? Surely you're not limiting your exposure to God's word to a couple hours on Sunday. His word. And then finally, Roman numeral four, our confidence. We, um, they said to the woman after they had hung with Jesus for a couple of days, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. Because you see, Salvation belongs to the Lord. The way I've put it on the notes is this. As he saves when we are faithful with the gospel, and if we are faithful with the gospel, he will save people. Every conversation you have may not result in a salvation. Sometimes you're sowing. Sometimes you're reaping. But as, we are faith, as he saves when we are faithful, it is not because of what we say or do. Don't give yourself too much credit. It is because we are joining him in his mission. And we can be confident he will see his mission done. The book of Revelation says that among those around the throne at the end will be people from every single language group, every single tribal group, and every single ethnic group. We will get the gospel. Not every single person will come to faith in Christ, but representatives of every tongue, every tribe, and every nation will. He's gonna save people, and he's invited us to get in on it. This morning, if you don't know him at all, the gospel is simply this. Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for sinners. That's the good news, because it's a penalty you owe. And so he has paid a death penalty he did not owe so that he could give to you a life gift you could never earn. And if you will turn from your sin and trust him, he's alive today. He is to be known today. His resurrection proves all the audacious claims he made about himself. And if you will turn from your sin and trust him, you can have eternal life. Christian, how's the ambassadorship going? How's the witness? Is it sharp? Is it ready? If, if between now and your car, somebody gave you an opportunity to share your faith, would you be ready? Your testimony, a, a biblically presented, how do I get saved? You should, you should say, I hope there's somebody lost between me and my car that I can tell about Jesus. And as the week unfolds, know that a sovereign God is going to place you in circumstances. You will encounter divine appointments. May we be zealous to be ready for them. <laughs>